Hey everybody, this is pilot episode one of the Cinemates podcast. I'm Michael Belting. Like, it's, it's fine. <laughs> Dude, it's fun. Known as Activate Windows, and I'm joined by... Daniel McGraw. What happens if conspiracy theorists actually discover what they want to discover? And Elio Orozco, but you can call me PvP. Is there is there a movie where it's the opposite, where men give it a lower score than women? Like chick flick movies. But like, uh, that's Duh. an actually good movie. <laughs> and today's podcast, we're doing a double feature of Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard and David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake. Just us. And the cameras. And those wonderful people out there in the dark. generation your grandparents your parents and all the young people that follow you i love rock and roll drop another dime in the jukebox baby <laughs> all right so what's everyone watched lately i saw schindler's list it was a hollywood film through and through and um i think it's spielberg's most overrated by most far. overrated by far there's a lot of high by far yeah. What didn't what there, didn't do it for you? Because I haven't seen it. What what didn't do it for me? The fact that it was so commercial. It was like what you would expect from a mid '90s Hollywood film, through and through, trope from trope. Like I predicted the whole like after the first hour, I predicted the whole three hours and a half, and um, yeah, it never really surprised me, which I guess is a given. But like <laughs> watching I'm... Schindler's List is sort of like. It's sort of like watching every other Spielberg film, but now he's, now it's dark. And like I get like the personal aspect because um, Spielberg himself is a Jewish American, and the book was obviously very impactful to him. But like watching the movie, you just think it's just another affair with him. It's just another Spielberg trip. And that that that's that's something I don't really like. Like I mean, with a proper war movie, say with. Uh, threads or something where the horror of the event is actually shown and not like and not like played out that is what i that's what i look for in a war film like have you have either of you seen threads uh i've seen it but i don't remember much i haven't who's who directs it um some some british director i don't think he directed much else it's it's a made for TV movie for the British broadcasting. Yeah, I don't. Know. And it was fuck, it was fucking horrifying. It showed like the actual aftermath of what would happen in a nuclear holocaust, and yeah. it sh- really fucking showed you, you know. But with Schindler's List, it's it it, it it's it's sort of like with Schindler's List. Um, I felt like I was watching a movie the whole time. I felt like I was, you know going through the same old Hollywood affair for the uh, upteenth time, and Spielberg wasn't really doing anything new. Like a that's my blockbuster take. version of... <laughs> I... <laughs> like a you blockbuster can... <laughs> come and see. You, 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 can, you can ignore all of that, Windows. You should definitely watch the movie. It's amazing. I love it. You... I'm going to watch okay, it eventually. Okay. Did you not feel anything Just, emotionally this, at this, the end? Despite all that, I think everybody should watch Schindler's List. Yes. Uh, purely for the fact that it's a very important, it's a very important piece of um, uh, film. N- not not necessarily because of its quality, but of its impact, I guess, on the general zeitgeist 
of the 90s and perhaps even its impact on today. But I really don't think it's that spectacular, flawless film people are making it out to be. I don't really even think it's I half do. that. It's a great Elio, you love it to death. I, mean, I do love I it. Haven't... It was on your top four for like a month or something. I remember that. Yeah. Well, I, I, that's just a, that was just like a generic top four because I haven't seen it. Can I ask you a question? Did Justify you know... yourself to me. Justify your happiness. Okay, first of all, first of all, did you already know about Oscar Schindler before going into the movie or not? I did some research on him in like my ninth grade history class, but that was oh. no, nah, not really in depth. Me too, in a way. I, I guess so. Uh, I already know what was gonna happen. Like, yeah, he saves all these people. It, it's clear that Spielberg has done a lot of made has gone through a lot of effort making this film, especially because he was a. Uh, I forgot which if it was either he was making this and then editing uh, Jurassic Park at night, or if he was making Jurassic Park and editing this movie at night. It was one of those. But like to drop like two classics like in the same year, it's like astounding to me. It's like amazing. Dude, no, no, no other film. This might be come the Spielberg be- discussion, but I don't even like <laughs> Jurassic Park. What? I like it's. It's fine. Dude, it's fun. It's fun, but like masterpiece is kind of ridiculous to me. Okay, maybe not a masterpiece, but it's like it's 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 definitely a monumental film. It's a great film. Yeah, especially because of the nostalgia. It's uh, the nostalgia attached to it because I'm pretty sure everybody has seen it as a kid at this point. I saw. I saw it when I was 15, and I fucking loved it. Still, like it's a roller coaster. I. You know that you know Phil Tippett, right? Yeah. You know Phil Tippett. Both you, he made Mad God. You've seen Mad God. Oh P- yeah, P- I P- see. P- yeah, I see Mad God. Yeah, Phil Phil Tippett was like the guy who behind all that, and he was apparently originally in charge of the dinosaurs behind um, uh, Jurassic Park because they were gonna make them um, claymation, and yeah. then um, he got booted. And ever since I ever since I heard that piece of information, I just wonder what Jurassic Park would have been like with like claymated dinosaurs and just like fucking all sorts of contraptions i think that is what i long for the most out of any of spielberg's works i just want to see phil tippett's jurassic park because he would knock that shit out of the park okay so this week all i saw was human condition and i watched um i told pvp this i watched where the crawdads sing on netflix because it was free to me and it was like on the front page i don't know maybe it's fine and i don't know I mean, it's a good watch, but it's it's stupid. You know, it's a bad to kill a mockingbird, basically. I feel like there's a lot of other stuff you could watch besides that. Yeah, I could have finished the Human Condition trilogy, but uh, I watched the teenage girl uh, Taylor Swift movie. So <laughs> unbelievable. Well, uh, I've seen a lot besides the couple rewatches. I saw The Whale in theaters, which you don't really like. Dude, it was like I, the worst movie I've seen in a really long time. I thought it was the best movie of the year. Two polar opposites. Yeah, I said it was the worst movie this year, so I don't know. Uh, agree to disagree. That's a really uh, big discussion, so I think we're going to have to not <laughs> go into that, or we'll be there for two hours. Don't yeah. touch it. It'll be Schindler's yeah. List the Whale, then. Yeah, that would... Hey, that's interesting. Uh, I saw Skidamarink in theaters as well. Very interesting. Nobody in my theater liked it. Only me. 
Uh, I saw Harvey, which came out the same year as uh, Sunset Boulevard, starring James Stewart. Yeah, that's the notable stuff I saw. Nothing notable about Harvey. It's like from the plot description, right? Harvey's yeah. Sort of like the Why are Donnie Darko? <laughs> I said, I said that's the Don. I said that's the notable stuff I watched. Why are people acting like Harvey is not some complete weird shit? I mean, it's a dude like fantasizing about a rabbit or something. I read the plot. Uh, I was really confused. Yeah, it's 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 mostly played like a comedy. It's it's a very feel good movie. Feel but, good. Uh, no way, yeah. Dude, Donnie Darko is really my okay, comfort it's, movie. <laughs> it's Donnie Darko because it's it's it it shares some some like a, a plot similarity, but that's it. All right. Well, yeah. imagine. Other than that, uh, I think we can get into our first movie, which is gonna be Billy Wilder's Sunset Boulevard. What all are right. we all thinking, Daniel? You want to start us off? Pretty, pretty, pretty good movie from the 1950s Hollywood. Uh, mo- Did they actually go through any movements in the 50s for Hollywood? I mean, it was the classic Hollywood movement, shit. basically. It w- McCarthyism ah. was the big deal at the time. Because remember, like uh, the Dalton Trumbo thing, where they were blacklisting people. That was that kind of era. So it had to yeah. be. It had to fit the censor. Um, to some degree, but they wanted it to be creative, so that's kind of why Billy Wilder was fitting that. Mm. You can sort of feel it, you know? Like, you have the um, average Hollywood love story between Betty and Joe, and then you have the really weird shit with uh, Joe and Norma. Yeah, I like the Joe and Norma bit better, though, because that's where he's getting a little more creative to the point where it almost seems like the original script was like, it's going to be an old woman falling in love with this dude and they're going to like fuck on screen. It almost <laughs> seems like it. And I get she does, but it's not like a graphic relationship. It's just she's like insane. But that's the whole it, it kind of, of the movie. It kind of feels it's like, like a, a, an early Phantom Thread. No, it's like misery, but you reverse the roles. I guess. I mean... Have you seen Misery? Yeah, I've seen Misery. I like Misery. I guess a less threatening Misery. Yeah. It's allowed to leave. Well, I mean, only one dies at the end. Tell me who. Yeah, I like I, I like the movie. I like how how uh, modern the story feels. Uh, if he... It, like I said, I saw Harvey before this, uh, this week, which is a movie that came out at the same time. And, and watching that, I can notice, like, yeah, like this thing feels like something that would have come out it in a in a movie in 1950. But watching Sunset Boulevard is like a lot of these things are things that we would see in a modern setting. Like I, I like I mentioned Phantom Thread, and I I really like that. I like the the whole character of of Norma Desmond. I think it's like the biggest we can all agree is like the big highlight of the film. Probably yeah, because she has the big iconic scenes in the character, but. I mean, yeah. it's also just Sunset Boulevard inspiring a lot of these movies because definitely Paul Thomas Anderson was inspired by this movie. That's not even like in, in the True. question. But then there's also like um, Mulholland Drive, which I mean, even the title is like kind of playing on that. But it's uh, the whole creepy Hollywood thing. It's a classic, dude. It's it's it gonna is. go. It's gonna keep going on for every generation, really. Yeah, this is um, one of my favorite movies. I think it's 
a total masterpiece. I don't know why I haven't seen more Billy Wilder movies, because at this moment, all I've seen is Sunset Boulevard, and I watched Ace in the Hole. I have the Criterion DVD for it, which is I've another seen... American classic one. It's very good. You got the yeah. Criterion for Ace in the Hole, and you don't have the Criterion for the apartment? The fuck? <laughs> there isn't a Criterion for the apartment. Fuck off, no. <laughs> there isn't, yeah. There's oh, a, there's an Arrow no, video. No, 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 no. I, w- I would have already watched it if it was on Criterion, because I'm like Criterion's biggest dick writer, really. Fuck off. I mean, there isn't. There's an Arrow video no, release, no, no, no. and you have to import it. Wait, no, 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 no. It's the best Building Wilder film. It's the best. It's, dare I say, one... Oh, fuck me. You We're talking about shit. Sunset Boulevard, and you're saying it's already the best. Writing a thin line oh. here, buddy. I haven't seen The Apartment, but I mean... Uh, I seen the apartment. I would say Sunset Boulevard is better. Fuck off! No one likes your taste. <laughs> what did you get? You gave this like an eight out of ten PVP. What did you give the apartment? I gave the apartment eight out of ten. I gave this a nine. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah. It's not bad. It's not bad. Yeah. Double indemnity. I mean, some like it hot and Asen. The apartment is pretty good, but it has it's severely lacking Norma Desmond. Yeah. Dude, she makes this movie without without her. It kind of isn't tied together as much. I mean, the main character of this is interesting in himself because you were mentioning earlier, Daniel, how he's like an asshole to everyone in the first hour of this yeah. movie, basically. In some way. I don't know if I would fully agree with that because he's just kind of like that noir, cowboyish uh, Americana bit. But I don't know if he's being rude to I- everyone. Yeah, I think he thinks he's that guy, but like, in reality, he's just like the disillusioned writer, you know, the guy who tried to make it big, didn't make it, and now he's um, just a jackass. He's bitter. He, he might not even know he's bitter, but um, he's like, yeah, he's an a- like like in the first hour. When has he not been snarky? I, I get that's just like the average Billy Wilder protagonist, you know, like quick witted, uh, silver tongue devil, all that shit, but. When has he not been, like, an asshole to everybody? Like, he put Betty Schaefer through the fucking ringer. Um, I think he, he was nice to that one producer dude. What was his name? Uh, the, I don't know. The guy who appeared for only one scene. The producer remember guy, when uh, Betty Schaefer... like, Warner Bros. or something. Yeah. Yeah, and Betty Schaefer walked in, talked shit about his, write, his writing, and then, like... Yeah, that was, like, a, a pretty funny bit, actually. Um, yeah, he was just... A massive dickhead and I like that I just wanted him to continue being a massive dickhead the whole film like maybe you could get like a little bit nicer at the end you know like um, you know like I, I, I love that scene I, I love that scene where he's guiding Betty out of the house and he's like showing all these luxurious things so that she might feel less sorry for him not knowing that there's a disconnect between them um, uh, his own money-focused, money-driven ways, and her more artistically expressed life, and um, she leaves crying, maybe because um, he knows that she won't ever really be ha- happy with him, and then he leaves Norma in return as soon as he he just comforts her and everything. I, I, I like that scene, but um, other than that, I don't really know why he just suddenly became nice. Would you not consider that a character growth in a way? Pardon? 
would it would that not be considered like character growth? Like as the movie progresses, he just gets nicer. Yeah, no, that's that that that's character growth. But uh, I kind of I kind of would have liked it better if he just stayed an asshole the whole film. Oh, that's right. what I'm saying. I thought what you were saying is like that he was suddenly changed, and it didn't seem like the plot benefited it. Because yeah, a character arc should be uh, produced by the events of the plot. And to I, some degree, but it also I, feels like he, he's being manipulated to some point where he w- she should be more upset by this. Because remember the first scene when she tries to kill herself and he's there and he's like half upset at her for what she's done. He's like, why are you wasting my time? You know, um, but with that, I mean, I kind of expected that the whole movie, but he is nicer than he should be at the end. Sure. I guess yeah. it's for sympathy of the audience because he dies and whatnot. Yeah. They do spoil I would have. I kind of would have liked it, like, if there was an extra twenty minutes of just like um, him sort of figuring out Norma De- Desmond, Dresmond, Desmond, Desmond, in yeah. a way. Like, um, I would have liked it if he just spent, um. I, I just would have liked to see more Joe and Norma conversations, if I'm being honest with you. Just them talking back and forth about fucking nothing. Uh, like, however, like, like the, um, like, just meandering conversations. And I would have, I, I would have liked that a lot more. I thought you kind of got that with the narration, though, because you're getting yeah. his thoughts in the story, at least. And it's a bit of, it's almost like a false narrator thing. Does that yeah, make sense? Because, I mean, it's not false narration, it's the real story, but... He's dead, so how is he narrating? Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it's like, it's a skewed almost, because he's like an asshole to everyone. I do kind of stick by my point that it's, like, rough. How uh, he suddenly transitions from this snarky asshole to some benevolent, uh, tragic hero. But I think, um, other than that, um, every character is pretty much perfect. E- even I like Joe Gillis. Norma Dr- Norma Desmond is perfect. Max is perfect. Betty Schaefer, you know, she's not too deep. She's per- she's perfect for what she is. Um, Artie was super fun to watch. I guess like every main character that gets more than a single scene is just perfect. Nothing I could do to change that. It's like a, it's a perfect script. I think it's one of the best scripts out there because it really follows that rule of like I mean I I can't believe I'm bringing up Avatar, right? But Avatar is like it has so many characters but every character in there even if you don't remember their name has one thing they're doing that is important to the script and that's what you really need because you need all these characters like intertwining to a degree of the certain things they need so like norma is going to be the crazy lady who's it like bringing him into this world right it's almost like that noir uh pull into crime kind of but it's more of like a toxic relationship bit on that there's betty who's gonna pull him away from her and then she's also the screenwriter so it like it brings them together more it makes like a really good web when you're watching it because you're, they're not wasting time on i mean betty has like the fiance or husband character right but he's in it for one scene and he's just a friend and you don't like talk to him and that is kind of the importance because you know that she is getting married but also you don't need to spend time with this guy because he's not going to benefit the story at all i mean the it's it's a very tight script from the beginning because it really wants you to get in the movie already i mean almost to a degree of where it's rushing 
what else is a perfect script? Windows. Well, Chinatown. Chinatown. Ooh. Perfect script, sure. Script. story. Because I would read it as like a pulp novel, even though I'm not. I'm not huge on Chinatown. It's just I don't know. I would have I to know. rewatch it. We're gonna talk about that one day. You're gonna make us sit down on that one, okay? You're gonna make me rewatch <laughs> yeah. it. I don't have that big of an issue Boom. with that. This could be a desert island movie for me because I really like the way it portrays L.A. as a whole. Like it's a very city-centric movie where L.A. is a character in it, and I I love those movies, which is gonna be found out very quickly. There's a couple <laughs> others we're doing in L.A., so gotta be ready for that. But yeah, movies where the where the big cities are characters kind of end up fascinating because they're bringing in like norma desmond is a fucking character if there is one i mean she's just this crazy lady that ends up getting brought into normal people's lives or like relatively normal but that whole dynamic with them really elevates the movie a lot to that classic status because it's so unique i like I, I gotta say my favorite part about norma desmond is the fact that you can never really tell if she's being genuine or not like you, you yeah. see how other how, how the other characters in Sunset Boulevard act, you know, like they're very casual, they're, you know, quick-witted, not very dramatic people, you know, they talk and they live their lives. But with uh, Norma Desmond, you can see her like act as she talks to Joe, you know, I don't know if this was a conscious decision or not, but whenever she talks to Joe, she just has this like weird old accent. She, she's very exaggerated in her postures and whatever. So she, it's almost like, acting is just her first nature yeah. it's like what she what she's been doing her whole life and when she talks to other people she just doesn't fit in with the normal crowd because she's very extravagant in that way it's just naturally her it seems like daniel you like this the least of us because i'm saying this is a favorite and then pvp's over here liking it but what 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 dragged it down so much for you or are you just like a negative reviewer guy. I mean, I, I don't think he hated I'm it. He just, just gave it one point The obligatory less. YMS. <laughs> yeah, he has to be the middle guy. Okay. Yes. The children no. were awful in the movie. Six out of ten. <laughs> I, I, um, I really did love Sunset Boulevard, but, uh, you know, it's just like the, the typical hyped out of proportion thing for me, because People hype it up as the greatest film to ever grace a silver screen. I'm fucking hyped. I'm all for it. I want to see that. And then I watch it and I realize, oh, it's a great film. Yeah. It's not the best film I've ever seen. And then, you know, inevitably it's a letdown. I would have loved this film so much more if I just like, if I was just like a casual IMD, IMBD film goer. And I just like saw it one day and decided to pop it on. Like I'd love it then. But because I'm a fucking LB user, of course... I can't go five seconds without hearing about it. What brings down Sunset Boulevard the most for me is that you never actually get to see a sunset. I think that's like a major flaw from Billy Walter. Yeah, there was no sunset on that boulevard, was there? There was no sunset. You could hardly see a boulevard, really. Yeah. All the plants were dying. I, on God, wished it either committed to like that surrealism just a hundred times more. Because when they buried the chimp, I was like, fucking, let's go. Because I was all, I was all for that, you know. I was, I was expecting like, um, I was expecting me to think Lynch was a sham by the end of things. Because that's just like, I guess the lens I saw this movie as, you know, just the film that started it all. And really, I just got disappointed again. 
It kind of is yeah. for the new era of Hollywood, though, it seems. Because, it, well, it's portraying L.A. is the first big one. But then also with that, it's like all the older movies, they almost had this process in Hollywood where it was like, we're going to pay you 300 bucks for your script and then we're going to forget about you forever. And so with that whole writer-director thing I was talking about, it's like Sunset Boulevard was really the first one that made movies like an art, almost. At least in that world, because overseas, you know, it was there, but like this one treated movies like they were uh an experience so um michael right you said that um sunset boulevard was the first film to really show cinema as an art form right in the hollywood realm yeah are you sure because casablanca came out eight years before and citizen kane five years before that so i mean okay citizen kane is a good one to put in because because Orson Welles is really, like, the centerpiece of that movie. But Casablanca is just a really good version of one of those movies where it's like, we're going to sell you the script for $500 and we're going to forget about you. Like, they don't give a shit about the movie. It was just a bunch of dialogue in a in one room, essentially. Yeah. Fucking day. I'm, it's not, a I'm, not a of, I'm not a fan I'm of Casablanca either. Dude, I gave it, like, a 6 to out me, of 10. Cas- <laughs> I gave it a 5. <laughs> oh, fuck. <laughs> Fucking terrible. I, I, I watched it a second time just to make sure <laughs> that I didn't like it. I watched like it twice. Bullshit. I cried both times. It's so uh, moving. I, I don't know why you guys don't like it. You, you I, cry. Especially you, Windows. I would have had you like, I yeah. would have thought that this would have been like your pick for like the best Hollywood film of all time. But apparently fucking no. Yeah, I would expect I expected Windows to actually like. I didn't, I didn't realize yeah. you gave it mid, but you cried at Casablanca. Yeah, yes, I did. <laughs> That's <laughs> strange. <laughs> what? Okay, so the thing about Schindler's, the thing is, I just happen to dig the '40s aesthetic a lot more than I dig the '90s aesthetic. I just I liked, think. um, I liked Ingmar Bergman and um, well, not Ingmar Bergman. What the fuck? What's her name again? The actress? Ingrid Bergman. Ingrid Bergman. Yeah. I haven't conf- had her confused. Dude, Ingrid Bergman. Ingmar Bergman and marry somebody named Ingrid. Ingrid Bergman. Ing- <laughs> yeah. I liked Ingrid Bergman and Humphrey Bogart's whole thing they had going on. I thought that was like like a cornerstone of any noir. And uh, I really liked that final scene where he's bidding her farewell at the airport. I felt very genuinely touched. And then he befriended a Nazi. That was... I don't know if that's like well, I'm willing to be lenient because this film came out in 1942 and like the extent of the German atrocities weren't made apparent yet yeah. but uh, uh, yeah yeah it's a great film it's a 10 out of 10 I don't know why any of you don't like it but apparently I have to be the taste around here and that's fine with me <laughs> um, um, I don't know about that dude Hey, it's a lot of talking to me, and um, I watched it, like, four years ago, so maybe I was not there to appreciate a it. A lot? You say a lot of talking, and yet you suck Billy Walder off. What the fuck? Because this is, like, an eventful movie. Yeah, Casablanca- One of your favorite films is 12 Angry Men. Okay. Because that, okay. No, no, no. You cannot diss that. You cannot diss that. That is interesting. 12 Angry Men is a, 12 Angry Men is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Okay. It's perfect. There's nothing anybody can do. No. Literally nothing. But it's 12 people in a room 
in a fucking a uh, twelve by five room talking for like an hour and a half. Okay, like, here's the that, difference. A how is that? What the fuck? A talking okay, movie. Go. Okay, Casablanca is a lot of talking. But if you take the plot elements of that movie, like we're we're in the planning room for Casablanca, it has been made. We have a whiteboard, and at the essence of the whiteboard is the different points of where the story has to go with this talking. There's like five points, like the for how much talking there is in that movie to the ratio of what actually matters. You could probably cut out like thirty minutes of the movie with Twelve Angry Men. Oh, every point, there's like probably a hundred fucking points in this hundred minute movie, right? And it just keeps going and going. And there's no, like, wasted dialogue or anything where it's just, we're developing the characters. I mean, character development is great, right? But you develop the characters with what happens with the plot. And that's where Casablanca really lost me. Because I could not tell you a lot about the plot of Casablanca. Besides, there's a romance and there's, like, a Nazi and, you know. It's, like, it's not that fascinating to me. Maybe that's some lowbrow criticism there because I haven't seen it in forever, but I did I not find it that fascinating. What was the other example? <laughs> Casablanca, 12 Angry Men, and we, mm. we mentioned one other. And Citizen Kane? Yeah. Maybe Citizen Kane? Yeah. I mean, I don't think I have to defend I mean, I that think, for a I talking think... movie. <laughs> oh, no, this movie yeah, yeah. was oh, actually yeah, yeah. the other example, but like, with this movie, it's a lot of talking the whole time, but then yeah. every scene matters and all the talking matters. Like, that's what I mentioned in the whole beginning of this. You, you don't... It's a perfect script, basically, because you don't cut out a lot of this movie, but Casablanca to me, it's like you could cut out a bunch of random dialogue pieces that are just there to spice the relationship up that don't have anything to do with the plot. I mean, if you don't keep your plot going, I'm not as engaged as I could be in another movie. Yeah. You're wrong. <laughs> no. He's right. He just he two opened that right up. You're wrong. Okay. Well, I'm two defeated. out of three people agree. Casablanca boring. Sunset Boulevard great. Maybe I have to rewatch it. If I rewatch it and I give it a ten, that's gonna be one that's, interesting. That's day. gonna be a fucking trip. <laughs> I will be here. I will be here for that. Yeah, that's gonna be Hopefully the next one up if I rewatch it. You re- imagine you rewatches it and it's another half star. Shit. Yeah, I give <laughs> it a one out of down. five. One out of five. Piece of shit. Well, have we gotten everything out of uh, what we want to say for Sunset Boulevard, Billy Wilder? Uh, I can't think of anything off the my the top of my head. I really liked Max. You know, I thought Max like a very sad character. How he just feels like perpetually indebted to Norma Desmond. I thought that was like that. The final scene was fucking haunting. When he like um, films her walking down the staircase, that was like, oh, that that's... iconic like push in, yeah. Yeah, we're gonna move on to our second film now. David Robert Mitchell's Under the Silver Lake. Daniel, you want to kick us off? Inherent Vice was pretty good. That was a good movie. Yeah. All right, no spoilers. I haven't seen Inherent Vice. It's we're Inherent movie. Vice fans around here. Wow, he hasn't. I haven't seen it. It's my only Paul Thomas Anderson I haven't seen. Alright, well, dude, this is, like, Under the Silver Lake, right? This is kind of a masterpiece of, like, The Last Generation. This is my favorite A24 film, actually. Really? Yeah. Really? Yeah. I I remember you gave, like, Good Time 10 out of 10 or something. It's better than Good Time? Yeah, it is. You're both 10 out of 10. I have it it up there. Um, 
I know I don't remember my list, but I remember Good Time. Marcel is up there as of late. Um, but yeah, this one's number one. Oh, Hereditary was the other one. Hereditary was mid, but that's a topic for another uh, day. Oh my god, that's a topic for another day. Let's, Daniel, let's, Daniel, yeah, we're not. Daniel just keeps bringing up, bringing up. I'll take after. Bring up my my many great. <laughs> yeah, but uh, I I enjoyed it a lot more on a second watch. I guess on the first watch, it's like. Just one, just going with the film, just wondering like, what is all this leading up to? But now, I can now knowing like what's gonna happen, I can you know pick up on every scene, pick up on themes and such. And it's a pretty good film. I wouldn't say it's like the best A twenty four, but it is a really well made movie. To me, I the like film it. ended when he smashed that dude's head in with like Kurt Cobain's guitar. <laughs> like like that that was that was where the film. I, I, I kind of like I didn't check out after that part but I definitely was just not as enthused it peaked it peaked I don't know about that it peaked I actually I kind of made a mental note on this one but on the rewatch the songwriter to me is almost like the tie in the very center of this he's like the point on the whiteboard here if we're going to that back to that analogy of storytelling like, they have all these threads. So the first time watching it, I agree with PvP here. It's very much, you're watching it and you're just waiting. It's fine waiting. Like, it's not boring. But you're definitely just seeing how things turn out. And the second watch for me, it wasn't like I needed to be explained to. But I got a different understanding of the movie, at the very least, from re-watching this. Because, well, with the songwriter in the center, it's like... We have our intro where he's meeting the band and everything, and then up to this point, he meets the songwriter. And then after that, it's like, okay, well, I'm seeing the conspiracy now, and now we have to unfold it, and they show it. And then the movie does that eyes wide shut kind of thing where it's just like, you gotta live with it now. You know all that. You know the secrets of society. Good luck, dude. And um, awesome ending, might I add. I love the, the trash god or the the god of the homeless people and andrew garfield's <laughs> like yeah. he's having a mental breakdown over his ex-girlfriend he's like i i needed her to take me back <laughs> and he has the fucking dog treats yeah that's awesome to me but i mean it's such an emotional build over this really long runtime that works somehow i think i think it just has enough variety to bring the story in especially in the first watch where it's uh interesting enough to actually get through under the Silver Lake feels like a big, like this is no slight against it. I think it's a really great film, but it feels like a big, very very huge joke. I'm not in on. I'm not. I'm not calling the movie a joke. I'm just saying, like, like a uh, Dave David Robert Mitchell. He made this film for like his group of friends, and then it accidentally got leaked or something. Okay, that's what I'm... it feels like. So here's going to be a separate conversation here. Have you actually heard of the uh, hidden aspect of this movie? My fucking God. Do I have to play this film in reverse? Yeah. Okay. To... When he I, is... I live right next to a bookstore. I'm sure they sell code books. I'm pretty what? sure it's like he's he's at a party and he's throwing up in a toilet, right? Remember that? Mm -hmm. He's over a toilet. I and there's codes the on... Cookie, right? there, yeah, there's codes on the wall. And there's different points of this movie, oh, like oh. in the in the credits. Yeah, <sighs> this is a mystery that's so like dug deep into this movie's core that it's still not been solved, and there's a whole subreddit for it. 
like this oh, movie yeah. actually has like a hidden message behind it. Yeah, you can look. I mean, I've looked Post into it, it and I was like, "Fucking hell, I'm not, I'm not looking into this. I don't have the time," because it, it's <laughs> taken like four years now and nobody has a clue. But there's like all these different hidden messages throughout the movie I'm guessing, that nobody I'm can sort. I'm guessing you just gotta go through some like a bunch of random crap, like especially seeing through the movie the way uh, Andrew Garfield just pieces some of the conspiracy is just like such a stretch. And then when it turns out when it's, it's true, like, you got it right. It's like, what the heck? Okay, I didn't think that it was such a stretch for most of it because, well, there was the the one, one of the breakthroughs was, like, playing the record backwards, which is a classic. Yeah. Like, yeah, everyone knows yeah, it. That was on the Beatles, bro. Um, But then other than that, I think the big one where it didn't catch me was the nintendo power magazine one yeah because they introduced it in one scene with nintendo and he's like bro there's no way it's in video games and then he's looking over and right there is the answer like yeah like he literally just has the one magazine needed in order to find out the secrets so the guy who is interested in chess and conspiracy theories who is an old man is also collecting nintendo power magazine that is a little bit much of a stretch for me even if, even if they tried to tie it in with like it was a conspiracy map but also some of it is like believable where they have these fictional like cereal boxes and bands and shit and the owl lady but then what, to try yeah, and what convince the fuck me up with the owl <laughs> yeah what is the what is the owl lady <laughs> I need wait, to wait, no, no 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 elio elio yeah. let michael finish and then he will have to explain the owl lady oh, yeah. go. Right. Go, go. i'll i'll talk about the owl lady because that's also, uh, you know, I'll get into it. Um, but when they try and convince me that Miyamoto is um, putting hidden clues for LA in his Japanese adventure game, like, you're losing me a little bit there. Because I don't think Zelda is, like, the hidden crypt to LA, you know. You got me on the fictional bits, because it was a fun mystery to see, but uh, some of it's kind of bullshit. I get the idea that all around in the world, there's, like, lots of things that we don't see as common people uh, that the rich people do see, you know? Because, I mean, I think no matter what, that's definitely true, that rich people know some little secret worlds that we don't, whether they're uh, malicious or not. Okay, so the owl lady. <laughs> yeah, you gotta explain. The main weird thing, I think, it, so it has to do with the dog killer, obviously, because the connection there is with the magazines that guy was making, and that's how the movie is bringing it in. So this guy, yeah, that that's its way of bringing it in. So there's these, like, killers of L.A. who are somewhat hired, or at least they believe, it's like a fictional god, almost, of this cult, which has gone around and done much more malicious things than what is actually presented in the end, because in the end... It's like you build this whole movie up, and then they bring it to a ten of five people, and they're just, like, burying themselves underwater or some shit. Like, that's... It's much worse than that, but that is just where he was going. So... I think that's the okay, best so, I could give it to you, because I don't know about the randomness of the naked lady killing you in your sleep, but, um... But so when Andrew Garfield points a gun at her, she just goes, like, hoot or something, and then runs away. Yeah, and then it, yeah, and what then the fuck is up with that? I need answers, scene, Michael. That, that scene transition is weird because she runs away, and then it just goes straight to the the police officer and the the owner, the landlord, just evicting him, and she's never brought up again. Like she isn't just hiding somewhere in the house. 
I assume, okay, so she did go to a different side of the house, but also the fact that there's more people there, like, she's hidden to a very, like, the mythologist god-like extent of, like, I know what's gonna happen in the future. So when she's looking at the tapes, she, like, the owl lady would have known that the police officers weren't gonna check the tapes in that guy's house when she killed him, but he would. And that's why she's looking at the camera and the tape, but in this part, she leaves because they could have gone into his house later. You know, so I get. I guess it's uh, suspense of disbelief that this owl lady is like a secret god, but they kind of made that apparent in the uh, mythical thing where she's been there for like a hundred years and she's the same age, just killing people about this cult. I think the dog killer, the dog killer, is the one stretch where I'm like, I don't know why this is here. I mean, it's entertaining, I guess, but what 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 I've heard is that. Some people are saying that Andrew Garfield's character is the dog killer, but I, I'm not really sure much about like what you can how to connect that. I thought that towards the end, especially when he's talking to the homeless man and he has the dog treats, I was like, is this a secret false narrator thing going on? And I'm not realizing that until the end because that very well could be where he's carrying the dog treats and he's lying because he is the dog killer, but then. I mean, I kind of don't believe it. Because we do see him everywhere he goes, right? So it's not like there's places in between, like Fight Club, where it's like, yeah, I could pair that back now that you tell me that and see that there's something wrong there, right? But this one, you do see everything. So I don't know where to put the dog killer. I think it's just another way to add into this big uh, conspiracy web, which is very well done, by the way. I think even... Some parts that feel pointless, right? Like with the Owl Lady, like it has a place that contributes to the emotion of it. Yeah, it's, it's... I, I liked how like um, I liked how the songwriter actually like gave Andrew Garfield he wanted, uh, like everything he wanted, <laughs> and that was like the the look of realization on Andrew Garfield's face is when he realizes like he just fucked up his own life is just beautiful. It's precious. I love that. Like, like, that, that was. Part. Just, yeah, yeah those are awesome. those are great saying like what happens if conspiracy theorists actually discover what they want to discover like would they be any happier for it probably fucking not would they be would they feel any safer probably fucking not i love that i love that bit. yeah i guess that's I mean, the thing because i compared this to eyes wide shut earlier right and i was saying how it's like it opens and then it closes and now you just have to live with that because now you know something that other people don't and that's kind of the thing with Andrew Garfield. It's like your life's almost ruined, you know, because all of his, the big one was Kurt Cobain. And he was saying that, like, mm. he grew up with him and whatnot when, when he had the poster on his wall. And that was a really big deal for, like, the soundtrack of his life. And then he just finds out that his entire rebellion was built by this one old dude. Like, even he said that, like, he, he made punk music. He made, like old rock music he made pop music dude made the world and made everything that, yeah it's it's weird to me that it would come around to this guy not only innovating pop culture but being like a revolution in himself and he's just like the puppeteer of culture in general what's the what's the thematic link between this and sunset boulevard the dramatic link for the did you really not or, or like, thematic no because I, I i don't see <laughs> Well, the big thing is, though, is the whole, like, paranoia thriller, but then also how 
Under the Silver Lake is really framed like a 50s noir uh, film, and it has a lot of those tropes. I was talking to Daniel about this because we were talking about whether this movie was misogynist or not. Wasn't it? So- something like that. And I was just yeah. saying, like, I mean, it may be, but at the core of noir, there's always been that bit of, like, women are fragile and they need men to protect them, or the opposite. But that's still bringing in that case, like the femme fatale thing. But that's still bringing in that issue of misogyny from back in the day. But yeah, this definitely does play into that, where every woman in the movie is basically, like either there for no reason or they need to be helped by someone and that is andrew garfield who cannot help a soul he needs help but yeah i think there's those themes in both how it's connected through the old and there's the paranoia of it and there's the um the hero's journey bit which isn't i mean it's a common plot thing but it isn't in every movie i gotta say i I love the way andrew garfield looks in this film i like how he looks just like a loser I want to be him. I, th- <laughs> <laughs> I love how he lives in like this uh, relatively. I don't know how it is in the states, but I love he lives in I this mean, like it, relatively it, it's, wide it's apartment. California, right? It's California, 2018. It like, is that's LA. Gotta be of, yeah, it's got to be thousands of dollars. Yeah, he has an incredibly nice apartment for not saying what his job actually is. Like he has yeah. music stuff around the apartment, so you assume he just plays, but. It's not like he's having I, I anyone like, ask. I mean, if he has I a lot of like, free time to be wo- doing all this investigating, I don't see him working. Because he took off work and he didn't have the money, so that's why the apartment at the end yeah. is, like, getting taken. But A lot of people online don't like this movie, and IMDb is, like, a six-point-something. That means it's amazing if IMDb has it at a six-point-something. <laughs> uh, Spencer is at that. Uh, Attack I don't... the block. I don't know. I don't know that one. That's but... an amazing movie. Really? I would have thought like IMD- IMDb would have loved Attack the Block. I, I pretty guess, sure huh? Licorice Pizza is the other one. Yeah. So another one. Uh, pretty it's sure Under the Silver Lake is the biggest gender rating divide. Yeah. Of any movie, we looked at the IMDb score and it was like a five, and then the men was like an eight or something, which is wild. That's a, that's massive. He said Taxi Driver. No, Taxi Driver was like an eight from both. Everyone likes it, but this one, women really hate this movie. Yeah, that that that, that actually was pretty surprising. Is there is there a movie where it's the opposite, where men give it a lower score than women? Like chick flick movies. That's not. But like, uh, that's duh. an actually good movie. <laughs> um, chick flicks are good. Fuck off. Yeah, <laughs> we literally put, okay, whatever. Okay, but this is like a, this is a really, really, really good movie. So is there a really, really good chick flick that men don't like but women do? Um, ten things I hate about you. I would assume men hate that. I don't know about hate that, but it's probably higher by women on IMDb. Uh, but I mean, that's, Pride and that's kind of like this. Maybe. I think a Little Women is uh, uh, probably evened out, but that's not really a chick flick. That's like a. You know, it's an adaptation of an old. But at least like a, a movie that women women would like. Which Little Woman? Men would, little Women. Uh, Red Girl. All of them are like the same one. Yeah, the new one is the yeah. best one. So that's. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, Under the Silver Lake, dude. This is my favorite A twenty four movie. I think this is. I mean, it's just a wonderful time to watch. Uh, it's very. Not up, my favorite. It's up my alley. What, what's your top? Yeah. What's your top picks for this PVP? 
for for what eight twenty four? Yeah, eight twenty four. I don't know. Uh, I especially maybe recency bias, but uh, I would include everything everywhere all at once and after sun. Uh, I really like Hereditary and Midsommar. Can't wait for uh disappointment. Bo- oh, I mean, Bowie. <laughs> that is the worst. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not even gonna watch the movie anymore because, like, originally it was Disappointment Boulevard, and it was like four hours long, and it was this biopic of a torn man, and now it's like a shitty comedy. All right, Daniel, what what would you say is like your top A twenty four picks, though? Uh, number one is The Lighthouse because I'm a basic. Fi- oh no, wait, no. Number one, number one is Moonlight. Number one is Moonlight because I can't be any more basic. Number two is The Lighthouse. Uh, number three is The Green Knight. Four is First Reformed. And uh, number five would be, I guess, oh, Lobster. Oh, that's hmm. a good one. All right, well, that's going to be a wrap on our pilot episode of the Cinemates podcast. Uh, if you would like, we would love if you could review on iTunes, Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. The next episode, we'll be talking Night Moves and After Hours. We'll see you guys in the next episode. This is Michael Belting. This is Daniel McGrath. And this is Elio Orozco. That's been good. We will see you guys in the next podcast.